Alright everybody, welcome back. In this episode, we're going to take 1 Chronicles chapter 19, talking about war with Ammon and Syria. Right? We're just going to pick up in the first two verses here, where David's going to send ambassadors to the Ammonites at the death of their king. It happened after this that Nahash, the king of the people of Ammon, died, and his son reigned in his place. Then David said, I will show kindness to Hanun, the son of Nahash, because his father showed kindness to me. So David sent messengers to comfort him concerning his father, and David's servants came to Hanun, in the land of the people of Ammon to comfort him. So David said, I'm going to show kindness. And David was the dominant ruler of his region, but he was not a cruel tyrant. And here he showed kindness towards a pagan king and sympathy for the loss of his father. Of course, he sends messengers, and David wasn't content to feel kindness toward Hanun. He did something to bring the grieving man comfort. And the war with the Ammonites was introduced by the chronicler the same way it was introduced in 2 Samuel. The king of Ammon had died, and David had sent a delegation to comfort the king's son and successor, Hanan. And that's covered in 2 Samuel chapter 10, verses 1 and 2. Alright, verses 3 through 5. Hanan, the new king of the Ammonites, treats Israel's ambassadors shamefully. And the princes of the people of Ammon said to Hanun, Do you think that David really honors your father because he has sent comforters to you? Did his servants not come to you to search and to overthrow and to spy out the land. Therefore, Hanun took David's servants, shaved them, cut off their garments in the middle, at their buttocks, and sent them away. Then some went and told David about the men, and he sent to meet them, because the men were greatly ashamed. And the king said, wait at Jericho until your beards have grown, and then return. So, of course, they were scoffing. They were like, do you really think that David honors your uh, father? It's hard to explain why these advisors to Hanun said this to the king of Ammon. It's possible that they genuinely suspected David, or they might have just used this as a way to appear wise and cunning to King Hanun. It is common for liars to always suspect others of lying. And uh, of course, they shaved him and cut off their garments in the middle and sent them away. This was a disgraceful insult to these ambassadors from Israel. One suggested reason for this is the idea that to be clean-shaven was a mark of a slave, right? Free men wore beards. Therefore, in that culture, many men would rather die than to have their beard removed. And with the value universally set upon the beard by the Hebrews and other Oriental nations as being man's greatest ornament, the cutting off of one half of it was the greatest insult that could have been offered to the ambassadors and through them to David their king, right? And the beard is held in high respect in the East. The possessor considers it his greatest ornament and often swears by it. And in a matter of great importance, he actually pledges it. And nothing can be more secure than a pledge of this kind, right, in this culture. Its owner will redeem it at the hazard of his own life. And to cut off their garments in the middle was an, also an obvious insult and humiliation that the uh, shame of their nakedness might appear, and especially that of their circumcision, so derided by the heathen. And this is checked to the fashion mongers of our time, right, who wear their clothes so, uh, so close and cloaks so short that they cover not their buttocks. One must only wonder what the Puritan preacher John Trapp would say about those who today wear their garments so low that they do not even cover their buttocks, right? And to insult the ambassador is also to insult the king, right? And he's representing the king. And it was just as if they had done this to David himself. And the same principle is true with King Jesus and his ambassadors. Jesus reminded his disciples 
disciples, If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. John chapter 15, verse 18. So the attitude of Ammon does not detract from the nobleness of the action of David. In that action, he proved that he had not forgotten the kindness which had been shown to him by Nahash. And of course, David tells him to wait at Jericho till your beards have grown. David didn't use these men as political tools to whip up anger against the Ammonites. He cared more for their own dignity and honor and allowed them to wait before returning to Jerusalem. That way they wouldn't have to be seen with shaven, uh, shaved beards. Right? So these uh, David's messengers were humiliated by the Ammonites with the result that they returned to Israel in embarrassing uh, ignominy. All right, verses 6 through 8, the Ammonites and Israelites prepare for war. And when the people of Ammon saw that they have made themselves repulsive to David, Hanun and the people of Ammon sent a thousand talents of silver to hire for themselves chariots and horsemen from Mesopotamia, from Syrian Makkah, and from Zobah. So they hired for themselves 32,000 chariots with the king of Makkah and his people who came and encamped before Mediba. Also, the people of Ammon gathered together from their cities and came to battle. And now when David heard of it, he sent Joab and all the army of the mighty men. So they saw when people of Ammon saw they made themselves repulsive, they knew that they did this. David didn't reject the Ammonites. They made themselves repulsive to Israel. And of course, they sent out a thousand talents of silver for hire for themselves. This was a common practice in the ancient world. The Ammonites had no hope of protecting themselves, so they hired mercenary armies. And... Uh, when David heard of this, he sent Joab and all the army of the mighty men. And it's important to understand that David was nothing without his mighty men, and they were nothing without him. He was their leader, but a leader is nothing without followers. And David had an army of mighty men to follow him. These men didn't necessarily start as the mighty men. Many were distressed, indebted, and discontented people who followed David at the Adullam Cave in First Samuel chapter 22, verses 1 and 2. And one of these mighty men was Adino the Esnite, famous for killing 800 men at one time in 2 Samuel chapter 23, verse 8. Another was Jashobim, who killed 300 men at one time in 1 Chronicles chapter 11, verse 11. And another was Benaiah, who killed a lion in a pit on a snowy day, and he took, uh, he took on a huge Egyptian warrior and killed the Egyptian warrior with his own spear in 1 Chronicles chapter 11, verses 22 and 23. So these are no, uh, this is nobody to mess with. This would be his special operations at the time. All right, verses 9 through 13, Joab divides the army into two groups. Then the people of Ammon came out and put themselves in battle array before the gate of the city, and the kings who had come were by themselves in the field. When Joab saw that the battle line was against him before and behind, he chose some of Israel's best and put them in battle array against the Syrians. And the rest of the people he put under the command of Abishai, his brother, and they set themselves in battle array against the people of Ammon. Then he said, If the Syrians are too strong for me, then you shall help me. But if the people of Ammon are too strong for you, then I will help you. Be of good courage. Let us be strong for our people and for the cities of our God. And may the Lord do what is good in his sight. So as the army of the mighty men approached the Ammonite city, they found themselves surrounded. In front of them were the Ammonites in battle array before the gate of the city. Behind them were the mercenary kings in the field. And it looked bad for the army of Israel, right? It appeared bad. And of course, he said, if the Syrians are too strong for me, then you're going to help me. Joab had only one strategy in battle, and that was to attack. Many generals would consider surrender when surrounded on both sides by the enemy, but not Joab. He called the army to courage and faith and told them to press on. And it's interesting to observe that in his arrangements, he made no allowance for the possibility of ultimate defeat in his conflict with Ammon. It does not seem to have occurred to him that the combination might have been too much for both of them. Of course, uh, 
He said, be of good courage, let us be strong, and may the Lord do what is good in his own sight. And this was a great speech by Joab before the battle, and he made at least three uh, persuasive points here, right? Be of good courage, let us be strong. Courage and strength are not matters of feeling and circumstance. They are matters of choice, especially when God makes his strength available to us. We can be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, right? Another point is, he said, let us be strong for our people and for the cities of God. Joab called them to remember all they had to lose. If they lost this battle, then they would lose both their people and their cities. And this was battle bigger than themselves, right? They had to look at the bigger picture. And the army of the mighty men had to remember that. And uh, he also said the third point is, um, may the Lord do what is good in his God's sight. Joab wisely prepared for the battle to the best of his ability and worked very hard for the victory. At the same time, he knew that the outcome was ultimately in God's hands. And Joab trusted God to work, and he did all that he could do, right? To believe that God will do all and therefore to do nothing is as bad as to believe that God leaves us to our unaided endeavors, right? So we had to take action as well, but he knew God was in control. So the uh, account of the strategy for preparation is practically the same in 2 Samuel. The Ammonites guarded the gate of their capital city, and the Arameans took the surrounding fields, right, the open country. And this meant that Joab, David's commander, would have to defeat the Arameans on the outer perimeter before he could even get close to the Ammonites themselves. And in order to effect this, Joab divided his troops into two units, one of which he led against the Arameans, and the other he entrusted to his brother Abishai to engage the Ammonites, right, split force. After agreeing to come to each other's aid, if need be, Joab and Abishai undertook the campaign. All right, verses 14 and 15, Joab defeats the Syrians and the Ammonites retreat to the city of Rabbah. So Joab and the people who were with him drew near for the battle against the Syrians and they fled before him. When the people of Ammon saw that the Syrians were fleeing, they also fled before Abishai, his brother, and entered the city. So Joab went to Jerusalem. So they fled before him and it doesn't even say that Joab engaged the Syrians in battle. This mercenary army fled before the army of the mighty men because God was with them. God promised this kind of blessing upon an obedient Israel in Deuteronomy 28, verse 7. And let's look at that passage real quick, because this Deuteronomy 28 and onwards is very critical for our understanding of what's happening in the Old Testament. So Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 7 states, The Lord will cause your enemies who rise against you to be defeated before your face. They shall come out against you one way and flee before you seven ways. Right, that's exactly what happened here. And so they fled before Abishai, his brother, also, and entered the city. Uh, when the Ammonites saw the mercenaries retreating, they also retreated. They could no more stand before the army of the mighty men that the, uh, than the Syrians could. And Joab did not at this time follow up the victory by laying siege to Rabbah. It may have been too late in the year. So confident in the Lord, they achieved success. The Arameans were routed, and the Ammonites retreated to the security of the fortifications of their city, Rabbah. All right, verses 16 through 19, David wipes out the Syrian reinforcements. Now when the Syrians saw that they had been defeated by Israel, they sent messengers and brought the Syrians who were beyond the river, and Chapak, the commander of Hadadezer's army, went before them. When it was told David he gathered all Israel crossed over the Jordan and came upon them and set up in battle array against them so when David had set up in battle array against the Syrians they fought with them then the Syrians fled before Israel and David killed 7,000 charioteers and 40,000 foot soldiers of the Syrians and killed Shapak the commander of the army and when the servants of Hadadezer saw that they were defeated by Israel they made peace with David and became his servants so the Syrians were not willing to help 
the people of Ammon anymore. So the enemies of Israel wouldn't quit after one defeat. They were a persistent enemy and came back to fight again. And David gathered the rest of his army uh, of Israel to prevent this army of Syrian reinforcements from crushing the army of the mighty men. The result was glorious. The Syrians fled before Israel. The emphasis on all Israel is important. The whole incident, therefore, shows all Israel cooperating under David and establishing the required rest for building the temple. The chapter ends with unfinished business at Rabbah. The offending Ammonites are still in their city and Joab has returned to Jerusalem. In the spring, King David will send Joab and the army out again to deal with Rabbah as he waits in Jerusalem. While he comfortably, uh, while he waited comfortably in Jerusalem and he fell into sin with Bathsheba. And we all know that account. And most of us know about David's sin with Bathsheba and how it happened when David waited in Jerusalem when he should have led the battle at Rabbah. We see in 2 Samuel chapter 10 that God gave David a warning by showing it necessary for him to come out against the Syrians. David tried to leave the battle to Joab in 1 Chronicles chapter 19 and 2 Samuel chapter 10, but his army needed him and God tried to show him that by blessing it uh, when David did go out to battle. These events were God's gracious warning that David sadly wasted, right? And when it comes to sin, such as David fell into, constant watchfulness is the only guarantee of safety. Not even true desire and great blessing are sufficient if the heart is not uh, personally watchful. So, looking back... Meantime, those Arameans call for reinforcements from across the Euphrates, the river, and with Shapak, spelled Shobak in 2 Samuel chapter 10, verse 15, as their leader engaged David's troops at Helam in 2 Samuel chapter 10, verses 16 through 17 in the Transjordan. And so again, David was victorious. He killed 7,000 charioteers in 2 Samuel chapter 10, verse 18, also has that as well. Uh, he killed 40,000 infantrymen and Shopak himself. This squelched any further desire of the Arameans to confront David. In fact, the Arameans made themselves vassals to Israel. And that's going to tie up chapter 19 in the next chapter. Chapter 20, Ammon is going to be defeated at Rabbah. Thank you for joining me.